The Beatles are a pretty nice band, and we've got a lot to say. The Beatles are a pretty nice band, talk about them day after day. But we also love the outfield a lot, so are these songs better than your love? The Beatles are a pretty nice band, someday we'll judge if they're fine, oh yeah, someday we'll judge if they're fine. Hello, hello, welcome to We Can Pot It Out. Beatle people, I'm Roger Cormier, that's Andrew Loudon, and today we're talking about George Harrison's triple album, All Things Must Pass, and then we're going to jam aimlessly for half an hour. Uh, Thanks for the pepperoni, by the way. Oh, no problem. By the way, I love Jeep. (laughs) It's Roger's birthday. Oh, (laughs) Oh, you're going to find out who Jeep is. Yeah, there is a there is a Jeep, folks. It's yeah. not just a, it's not an advertisement. Although General Motors does get a mention on this album, controversially, which we will also get to. But uh, this is all things must pass. Uh, this is George's turn in the spotlight. Uh, a triple album that seemed necessary, given that there was a lot of material just ready to burst out of him. Going through it in the full for the first time in a long time made me realize it has a decent batting average for its length. Uh, I just remembered a couple of singles and the kick you out the jams and the religiousness of it all. But this is a, this is a classic for a reason. Yeah, there's a reason why it's often listed as the best of the solo work of all of the Fabulous Four. Or if not the best, it's, it's up there. Uh, so there's so many classics that make you kind of wonder... Like, what could have been if they were part of the Beatles' canon and if they ended up on a proper album? Here, he, like, absolutely sounds energized, free, and he's having fun with his, uh, I mean, an all-star band. He has the first all-star band. Yes, one R. So many players. One R. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, members of Badfinger, Eric Clapton, Ringo Starr from the Beatles. Have you heard of them? Heard of them. (laughs) Ginger Baker, like it's crazy how many people show up here. Delaney Bramblett. To... Who? Delaney and Bonnie Bramblett. I don't know that one. Well, we'll we'll get to that. Yes. So who are, who are these people that say this is the best solo work? I do. I think it's one of the best ones. It may. I think if I had to, if sitting here today, if I had to rank it, I'd put it at number two. Okay, do not say what number one is. Everyone knows. I think we could guess if a lot of listeners could guess. Yes. Um, Well, I. But this is. I mean, when people talk about the solo records and like who went first, like who had like the big, the first big one, it was George. Literally. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) But there's a reason why it's at the top of the list here. Like, is it his best solo album? Yeah. 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 Probably. Yeah. I'm reserving you know, they, judgment, but I, I, I'm pretty confident this is his best, best work. But um, I don't really, I'm not really familiar with his other work. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to find out. Maybe it's. So am I. Like yeah. I can't tell you like the back half of you know Dark Horse, but you mm-hmm. know we, we, I think all of us kind of know the singles are like one of the, one of the big hits from subsequent records. Maybe, maybe not. But as a whole, like this is. Look, he'd been stifled for so long. Mm. He, you could watch it in the and and get in the Get Back movie. 
Like he's trying to bring a lot of these songs to the fold and just doesn't work with the guys because they're not interested in any way. Half of these songs are in are on Anthology Three, seemingly. <laughs> Take twelve of All Things Must Pass. You it could just hear wasn't John working for the guys. Yeah. No. Yeah. You could see, and in the movie, you could see them vis- like 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 bored by by a lot of these songs, and then he's like, you know, I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna go write a classic. We'll get there. See you at the clubs. Uh, this was recorded for May to October 1970. George Harrison and Phil Spector were credited as producers. Uh, my cat was not one of the producers, even though you just heard his voice, probably. Are you okay, <laughs> buddy? Yeah. All right. So, um, here we go. This was uh, All Things Must Pass. It established George briefly as the most successful former Beatle. Does the sales outstrip the likes of Imagine and Ram? Uh, Harrison topped a U.S. Billboard single and album chart simultaneously, a feat not equaled by his former bandmates until McCartney and Wings did so in 1973. Um, now, there's a lot of influences at work in this album. The first was Bob Dylan. Um, George spent Thanksgiving 1968 in Woodstock at Bob Dylan's home, and uh, this was when the band told him that uh, Don't Pass Me By was the best song on the White Album. This is during that time. Um, I'd Have You Anytime was co-written with The Bob. Um, Let Me In, you know, those lines were George telling the Bob Dylan, hey man, uh, can I get to actually know you? You know, and he's like, I don't know, George, I'm scared. Are you I guys don't... done being cute? <laughs> oh, you're so cute. Um, and it ended up that George and Bob had a friendship that lasted through at least the Traveling Wilburys years. Yeah. Uh, um, Bob and John Lennon, they had a really tense relationship because I think they were trying to outsmart one another. Um, Sounds about right. There's a clip on YouTube of the two of them in the backseat of a car, and it's just so awkward. (laughs) Like they're trying to, you know, say they're trying to outwit each other. It's weird. And uh, he didn't. Bob didn't really respect Paul or Ringo enough to be to consider them equals. You know, potentially, uh, as kind of shitty as that sounds. So it was George. That ended up uh, pals with Bob Dylan, and that gave George, um, you know, confidence. Like, oh, Bob Dylan thinks I'm good. I, w- I wish my bandmates right the same. Um, okay, so that's one influence. Then there's the husband and wife act, Delaney and Bonnie Bramlett, um, and they were a heavy rock and roll outfit you would say. And George actually agreed in 1969 to tour with them in the UK. The guy who was the most against going on tour ever again. Right. You know, the most obstinate. And uh, so he went on tour with them as a mostly anonymous guitar player. You know, he didn't, he only sang um, Everybody's Trying to Be My Baby. Uh, That he did the cover of that song which he did on Beatles for Sale, maybe, or Help. I don't know. One of those two. Um, also, Delaney Bramblett 
Uh, he was the one responsible for teaching George how to do uh, the slide guitar. Um, you know, ah. George knew a little, but Delaney really made him into an expert, and so he's to blame for that. Okay. <laughs> he he, uh, he he found a thing. He just kept doing it. That's right. The rest of his life. But you see, it wasn't a thing until this album. It's hard to remember that, you know. Like well, he on something he does some slide guitar. Yeah. Like you can see the beginnings of that. So anyway, Harrison appeared on the live album for Delaney and Body and Friends on tour of Eric Clapton, and he was credited as Mysterioso. And interestingly enough, he was credited as Angelo Mysterioso on the Cream album Goodbye. So he has this whole alter ego that we had no idea. We had no idea about. Another influence is gospel music. He co-produced Billy Preston's fourth studio album, "That's the Way God Planned It," which was a mix of gospel, soul, and rock. He also co-produced the following year's uh, following album, "Encouraging Words," that was released in September 1970, two months before. All Things Must Pass, and it contained versions of All Things Must Pass and My Sweet Lord. Um, and this taught Harrison the structure and composition of gospel music by producing this, this stuff. And another key contributor was John Barham, a pianist and arranger who had worked with Harrison's sitar guru Ravi Shankar, and Barham wrote the orchestral scores for several of the album songs. Um, so all those influences, plus Phil Spector, who he got to know uh, recording against the Carbo with John Lennon. And, you know, because he worked on the Let It Be album. Right. So you combine all those things, and baby, you got a stew going. You got a triple <laughs> album piece. stew going. You know? Yes. Um, so not all the musicians were credited. Peter Frampton and Phil Collins are on this album, but um, they didn't get the credit. Yeah, I knew Frampton, but I did not know that Phil Collins played on this. That's really wild. He played the congas. Wow. <laughs> the tracks. Everybody, anybody who was anybody except Paul McCartney was invited to <laughs> play on this. Well, Lennon wasn't on this record either, was he? No, I know he, Ringo. No, he wasn't. No. Ringo but, did most of the drums. Yes. Um, yeah. Alan and White. Keltner. And and Keltner. Yeah. Um, Phil Spector left the sessions in July 1970. Um, Apparently he broke his arm in the Apple control room. He was so drunk he fell over backwards. Cool. Mm -hmm. So George had to do a lot of the work. He said he might as well have done it all himself. (laughs) Phil gave him some notes, none of which was, hey, my sweet lord sounds familiar. Um, <laughs> did not come up. Surprising. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the Apple Gem Sessions, which is all of side three pretty much, led to the creation of a brand new band called Derek and the Dominoes, formed by Eric Clapton, Bobby Whitlock, Carl Rattle, and Jim Gordon. Um, they were in the Delaney and Bonnie and Friends group, but they really came together during those July 1970 sessions. And of course, they're most famous for recording a little song called Layla, which was about uh, George's wife. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. 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 How about that? 
The cover artwork was taken on the main lawn of Harrison's home, Friar Park. Um, it depicted a seated George wearing Wellington boots and surrounded by four languishing garden gnomes. Wearing wellies. They had recently been delivered to Friar Park. By making Harrison loom over the quartet, the image was perceived as a commentary on the new album in comparison to the Beatles. Huh. Yeah. Uh, All Things Must Pass was the first triple album by a single act. Woodstock, music from the original soundtrack, and more had predated it by six months. Damn you, Woodstock. Ah, wins again. Mm. In the liner notes of the 2001 reissue, Harrison expressed a desire to remix the All Things Must Pass songs to remove some of Phil Spector's wall of sound effects. Unfortunately, uh, he died soon after. So, although Danny could do it, uh, I guess if he has to. Yeah, you know who did like? There's a the 2020 remix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was that was that a a um a Giles production? I don't remember now. I don't know. I know everything but that. Yeah, it's it sounds great, but I don't know if it was a Giles. So let's get into it. Uh, we start with "I'd Have You Anytime." Uh, love the guitar work here. I believe it's Clapton. At least he did the solo. It's obviously a Bob Dylan co-written song in retrospect because it seemingly says a lot while really saying so little. And I mean that in a good way this time around because love and relationships can be deeply complicated and and hard to articulate. And it matches the song that it's hard to articulate, you know. Um, also, it's George asking to see the real Dylan, whoever that is, Zimmerman. <laughs> Zimmerman! <laughs> he believes it's Zimmerman. Yeah. <laughs> I remember Zimmerman. <laughs> um, you know, I'll never forget... Um, buying this album at uh, Princeton Record Exchange and bring it home, and I'd never heard it before. Obviously, I'd heard, you know, My Sweet Lord and yeah. You know, Was the this classics. before 2013 when you heard McCartney for the first time? This was before, yes. Okay. This was before. Um, and you did I remember not think this was it. a Pink Floyd album. No, I did not think this was a Pink Floyd album because it does say, you know, George Harrison on the front. And my friend was jealous because when I picked it up, I opened it up and I was like, you know, it's it's this big box. And it had the original poster of George in it. And he was like, oh, I should have I should have looked in that bin first because he would have taken it. But, you know, it was mine now. And I put this on, put on the turntable and hearing this song for the first time probably like, you know, most pe- first generation Beatles fans did. Oh man, I got that excitement, f- like joy, oh, f- warm feelings all over. And I felt that again listening to it and preparing for this episode. It's an amazing first statement on the record. Like he's got all these songs that he's got ready to go and he starts off with this. Oh man, this is going to be a good record. Yeah, and um, this was covered with Bob Dylan. Uh, when they were in Woodstock together after the White Album was made, after the White Album came out, I should say. Um, And uh, it was controversial, I guess, to start the album this way, you know, mid-tempo. It might have been inspired by the band's music from Big Pink, which began with the uh, similarly stately, according to the Beatles Bible, Tears of Rage. (laughs) Tears of Rage, the... Mid-tempo, rage. Um, 
previously it had been a convention in the music industry that pop and rock albums should begin with an upbeat cut to catch the listener's attention. And I thought about it, and yeah, every Beatles album starts with a rocker. You know, absolutely. You're not starting with "In My Life" or "Julia." You know, uh, no, you're starting with uh, you know, like your "I Saw Her Standing There's and "Back in the USSR" and, and "Taxman." You know, yeah. So. It was interesting that George started it this way, and it also helps that the first lyric is "Let me in," you know, "Let me into your heart." So this is George telling us, "Let me in, open Hi. the door, let him in." I've got a triple record here for you. <laughs> I brought a lot of gifts <laughs> and some jam. <gasps> um, f- funnily enough, Paul McCartney. Used the lyric, um, let me roll it to you on uh, Let Me Roll It, which came out a few years later, which I, I, a song I enjoy also. Yes. Josie Scale, is this song better than Your Love by the Outfield? I say, yeah. I agree. I give it a yeah. Very nice. My Sweet Lord. This one has Peter Frampton one of the five people credited on acoustic rhythm and guitar. Yeah. Uh, Ringo was on tambourine, Andy White on drums. Not Alan White. I made that mistake. Andy White. Andy White, yes. Poor Ringo, though. Again, another Mr. White (laughs) getting in the way. Gary Uh, Wright on piano, Mr. Dreamweaver right there. Oh, dream. Klaus Foreman, right? of course, the bass. Billy Preston the, the, on the piano. Yeah. What were you saying? Oh no, the new the new Paul. Yeah, Klaus is the new Paul. He plays bass on every non-Paul Beatles solo album. It's yeah. Really, um, and he did the Revolver cover art. Yeah. They knew him since Germany. Uh yeah. Look, it's uh, he's so fine. Do lang do lang. <laughs> You gotta take some points off for the plagiarism, but I think it's impossible to look down on this track. I'm not what I consider a religious person, but I want to believe in a higher power the way George seems to. And it's because of the song somewhat. It's his give piece of chance or hey Jude, you know, it's universal due to its simplicity and it's it's a damn good work. Yeah, I mean good artists borrow and the Beatles steal. <gasps> <gasps> Yeah, I mean, each beat, each Beatle needed their anthem, you know, and George definitely gets his here. Um, you know, you hear this all the time. It's possibly overplayed, but you know, I can't hold that against him. The plagiarism, yeah, you definitely knock some points off for that, but I think it's a good song regardless. Good, uh, Good stuff. He was primarily inspired by Edwin Hawkins's funk and gospel arrangement of the 18th century hymn "Oh Happy Day," yes, which was an international chart hit in the year before, 1969. Um, but of course, it doesn't sound like "Oh Happy Day," just in the fact it's gospely, but you know, it's not plagiarism there. Right. Um, religious songs had been increasingly prevalent. Around this time, Norman Greenbaum's Spirit in the Sky, uh, Pacific Gas and Electric's Are You Ready, Habit Hit Singles, and Jesus Christ Superstar was a box office smash. Uh, 
you know so it was in the it was in the air at the time um only 22 different words in the song hit it among the backing vocals towards the end was the entire text of the vedic sanskrit prayer mm-hmm. uh the electric slide guitar made its debut here um it was originally recorded by Billy Preston, and it had more of a R&B feel. And had he had George recorded it that way, he probably wouldn't have been sued. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean Billy Preston uh, in the concert for George, he sings this mm-hmm. and brings the house down. Definitely worth a YouTube search um, for everyone listening. Got to check that one out. It's it's incredible. Or you could just wait once every two weeks on PBS. Your local PBS station airs a concert for George. Oh, really? Uh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yep. Seemingly. Uh, I saw it on the PBS Arts channel uh, a couple of weeks ago. and I actually, Oh, amazing. Yes. And Did they play um, John Tesh at Red Rocks after? Sadly, no. It's either... It's either um, it's either concert for George or you know an all female production of Hamlet. Oh, um, not even Yanni at the at the Acropolis. Damn. You sure know a lot about John Tesh and Yanni. <laughs> I listened to a podcast uh, about a year ago where it was kind of talking about um, PBS pledge drives and uh, how music has played into that, and it kind of started with uh with yanni at the acropolis where they they played it and people were like because that was the gift that they were giving right pledged and they'd show snippets of it on tv and people were like i gotta have this thing so then people started like paying pbs to be like will you please like put out my new age album i mean that's the age of pure moods and all that too so uh yeah, John Tesh actually like said like produced it himself and like gave it to PBS for free. Like, please send this out, and it, his career took off. Huh. So, anyway, t- damn you, PBS. Um, okay. <laughs> I don't even believe in Jeebus. <laughs> Sanctuary. Uh, why did I teach him that word? <laughs> so on February tenth, nineteen seventy one. Bright Tunes filed a lawsuit against George Harrison, Harrison's Music, and Harrison's Music, Inc., uh, Apple Records, BMI, and Hanson Publications. And very long story short, uh, George ended up buying the rights to He's So Fine after 20, <laughs> after 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> and he got the money that he originally lost uh, from the original lawsuit. Um John Lennon thought he that uh, he doubted it was subconsciously plagiarized, which was always what George said. Um, John said he walked right into it. He knew what he was doing. He must have known. He's smarter than that. George could have changed a few bars in that song and nobody could have touched him, but he just let it go and paid the price. Maybe he thought God would just sort of let him off. Amazing quote. I give this a yeah... I give this a yeah as well. Yeah, wah, wah. Wah, wah. We are not referring to the uh, food chain. Wah, wah. Oh, uh, man, they got pre- good hoagies. Prevalent in Pennsylvania. I don't know if it's anywhere else. 
It's in New Jersey too. Uh, I have a I have a Wawa in my town. Oh, yeah. Do you recommend? Definitely. It's you know the hoagies are great. You can pick your own sandwiches. Hoagie. Hoagies, peanut mm-hmm. chews. You know the works. You ever see Philly Boy Roy there? I have not seen Philly Boy Roy there, unfortunately, but I have seen Rhoda. Okay. Sorry. Or and Sheila Larson. I oh. I think Sheila actually works at at Wawa. Oh, I'm familiar with Sheila Larson. Everyone is. Well, Phil, Rhoda is his is his daughter. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So yeah, crack anyway. a Philly boy Roy call much? Don't seem like you do. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you judge me, I judge you. Yes, you walked right into that one. I play with this song on my wristwatch. <laughs> Everyone who doesn't know what we're talking about is very no, confused. Sorry. Sorry, I'm not, not going to explain it. <laughs> anyway, Wawa, W A H, W A H. That kicks ass. It rocked my socks. It melted my face. I love fuck you songs that somehow don't come off as abrasive. I'd yeah. feel a whole lot better by the birds as an example of that. And this yeah. <laughs> and this song, too. Yeah, I love. Um, the album sequencing kind of ramps up to this song. Mm-hmm. Like the, you have the understated, uh, I'll have you have any time. And then it gets, you know, it, fin- it kind of get, gets a little bit of a ramp up on, uh, my sweet, on Lord. my sweet Lord. And then here on Wawa, like we're blowing the doors off here. Like George is arriving, uh, with such an incredible kiss off. You've made me such a big star, but he doesn't need it. I don't need your Wawa. Um, it is kind of funny that he goes from that beautiful song about, you know, fighting a higher power to, uh, fuck you, Paul. <laughs> hey, you know, he's a he's a complicated... All these Beatles, man, they're all complicated men. Yeah, no, and... It, it, we'll get to it a little later. Like, they're, it's in the same song. It's the push and pull of, like, him wanting to ascend to... A higher level of consciousness, but also yeah. he has these these uh, carnal urges and these pe- these petty fights with fellow human beings. Um, yeah, and you know it's not as bad as which we'll get to. Um, John Lennon with the Imagine album it starts with Imagine, and it also has how you, how do you sleep? Like, <laughs> imagine the beautiful song Imagine, and it goes like. The most vitrolic song. The first. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Wawa, first diss track? Um, is it a. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think of other diss tracks from. Well, Andrew Bird Can Sing is kind of like a diss track yeah. in a way. Yeah. Like, too subtle, like, though. It, it's too subtle. I guess this is a very obvious diss track. You know, are we going to do a solo Beatles Did It? I guess we're gonna do Solo Beatles did it. Solo Beatles did it. Hashtag sure. Solo Beatles did it. Uh, Wawa was written the day George walked out of the Beatles during the ill-fated Get Back Let It Be sessions on January tenth, nineteen sixty-nine. He'd grow unhappy with the lack of direction, Paul's drive, ambition, and eagerness to return to live performance. Also, Paul telling him what to play. Even though mm-hmm. he said he'd play whatever he wants him to play, 
John Lennon's sniping sarcasm and closeness to Yoko was also an issue with George. And just both Paul and John not, you know, giving him any attention on most of his songs. Um, the Wawa is also refers to the foot pedal uh, deployed by guitarists to create an onomatopoeic effect because it goes wawa, like literally. Um, it's the opening song on both in both of Harrison's sets at the two concerts for Bangladesh on August first, nineteen seventy-one. Harrison often played the song at his rare subsequent live appearances. It was also the last of his compositions played at the concert for George, begun by Eric Clapton, but with Jeff Lynne and Billy Preston taking some of the lead vocal duties. And I couldn't help but notice that Paul Bacardi plays piano on that performance. Well, you know, I'm sure he knew what it was about, but... Uh, Yes, it's about John. He hated John. (laughs) Everybody agrees. (laughs) Wow, wow. Oh, that John! You know he could bother oh. people. He could get other people. Oh yeah, skin. sure can. <laughs> oh God! But I, I get this is three in a row. Another yeah. Same for me. Yeah. Oh, George is on fire here. He sure is. Isn't it's it a up. pity? <laughs> Isn't it a shame? I get why people like this track, but uh, unfortunately, it just isn't for me. It's too dirgy. Which is kind of impressive considering the slide guitars. Yes. <laughs> it's just too holier than now, which his Georginess could be like sometimes. Absolutely. I mean, I however, I do think it's a great George Torch song. Like, I understand the dirginess that you're speaking of, but that's, that's, that's never bothered me. I've always loved this song. Okay, it's seven minutes long. <laughs> It is very long. This is a triple album we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, and. I yes, mean, and. I mean, one was five minutes, but I mean, it, it, it flies by. It, sure. So, isn't it a pity uh, he wrote he wrote it back in 1966? Um, he attempted to introduce it to the group on the 25th and 26th of January, 1969, towards the end of the Get Back Let It Be sessions, but to no avail. Um, It was revealed then that John Lennon had vetoed the Beatles from working on the song way back in 66, and that Harrison had considered offering it to Frank Sinatra. (laughs) What is with Uh, these guys offering songs to, to to Frankie here? Like... Yeah, they have a very strange relationship with the guy. I don't get it. I really don't get it. I, f- you know, I feel like that maybe he, no matter, even though he was insulting to them, like they still considered him like the gold standard. Like if he covers one of your songs, you made it as a songwriter. Yeah, like, I understand. That's their generation. Yeah. Sure. I don't know. Yeah. Well, anyway, he didn't, and Paul. Keep him suicide. Uh, As a fuck you instead. (laughs) Didn't work out. Yeah. Um. So yeah, George said in "I Me Mine" his his memoir, which is a great title. Isn't it a pity about whenever a relationship hits a down pint? Instead of whatever other people do, like breaking each other's jaws, I wrote a song. 
It was a chance to realize that if I felt somebody had let me down, then there's a good chance I was letting someone else down. We all tend to break each other's hearts and not give me back. Isn't it a pity? Isn't it a shame? Bee Gees member Maurice Gibb claimed on several occasions to have played piano on Isn't It a Pity, though which version is not known. Okay. Phil Collins, who performed on Art of Dying, claimed to remember Gibb being present when the song was recorded, although no documentation to corroborate this has surfaced. You you missed again, Phil. (laughs) Or Phil Collins and Maurice Gibb are in cahoots. Now, that's an unlikely duo right there. They incepted it, or Maurice incepted into Phil Collins that he was there. Um, Guilty. Josie Scale, I'm afraid this is a Josie. I'm going to disagree. I'm going to go four in a row. Give four us a, a yeah. Oh, my goodness. Four in a uh, row. Yeah. Four in a row. What is this, Rubber Soul? Yeah, man. It's like Rubber Soul all over. What is life? Man, another monster. Um, one of the most uplifting songs you'll ever hear. It's one of those mm-hmm. times where it's a good thing Phil Spector was producing. Yeah, it's a huge production that is absolutely enhanced by Spector, for sure. Like he And George is singing this like it's his last chance. Like It's so much power and emotion, and I think it's his best song on this whole record. The last chance that reminds me of the seen and walk the line if you had one song you know uh you know to, to get into heaven what song would it be right you know like yeah yeah and this is kind of i think i mean there's a lot of talk about higher power and heaven and mm-hmm. above and but, below us throughout this record and i think this is the the one where he hammers it home the best um it was written for billy preston in 69 apparently he wrote it in 15 minutes or half an hour on his way to olympic studios london while he was producing one of his albums uh george said because of the situation at the session it seemed too difficult to go in there and say hey i wrote this catchy pop song while billy was playing this funky stuff so i did it myself later on all things must pass um an alternate version was released as a bonus track on a 2001 remastered edition it was an early studio mix featuring trumpet and oboe orchestration that was later discarded. Um, and George totally forgot it existed. <laughs> it's a weird it. version. Mm-hmm. Piccolo, trumpet, and oboe. It sounds almost like militaristic. It's it's odd. <laughs> well, it is life. Well, it is life. Uh, this, this gets a yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Five in a row. Yeah! Five in a row. Uh, if not for you, um, it's hard. This is a Bob Dylan cover. Yes. It's hard not to compare George's version to Bob's. Mm-hmm. Um, I prefer Bob's version. Oh, oh okay. George's okay. isn't bad or anything. It just sounds too much like boring mid-AOR music prevalent in the 70s. Also, if you're doing your own interpretation of a Dylan song, why play harmonica? <laughs> that's just trying to copy a Dylan song and not reimagine it 
Yeah. Um, well, I, I love this song, uh, and I will admit to having heard this version first before hearing mm. Bob's. So, of course, that plays into it, I'm sure. Um, I've even covered it a few times. Uh, I love the arpeggiating guitar lines he's playing over the chords and the chorus harmonica. Um, I, I, if he, you know, he's doing a Dylan, a Dylan impersonation. He's just, he's just like blowing into the harmonica and not doing any tricks. Just going, (laughs) (laughs) which I think is great. This is for me a classic. Wow. So you prefer George's version? I, I I love George's version. I I have to go with George's, even yeah. though I do love Bob's, of course. Yeah. Bob has the um, what's it, Glockenspiel? I think on on his version. Yeah. If I think not you're right, for yeah. you, ding ding ding. Um, so if not for you was the opening song on Bob Dylan's album New Morning in 1970. Uh, George played on it, but he couldn't be credited because his record label was silly. Um, and it was, they recorded a version of the song, Bob Dylan recorded a version of the song with George on guitar, and he played slide guitar um, on May 1st, 1970, in New York, baby. And mm. it was thought to be Harrison's first recorded instance of slide guitar history. Uh, but then Dylan re recorded on August 12th without Georgie. And that version came out in October 1970, the month before All Things Must Pass. But they the did do it together at Bangladesh. Yes. And the earlier recording that was aforementioned, the first slide guitar instance, was eventually released in 1991 in the Dylan box set, The Bootleg Series, Volumes 1 through 3, rare and unreleased. <gasps> Josie Scale. I do like the song. But I prefer Dylan, so I give this a Josie. Understood. I will continue my <laughs> perfect score and give it a yeah. Oh my, this is maybe your favorite album ever. Jesus Christ! I love I, I love this record. I gotta say, I, I yeah, this is this is a fave for me. Behind that locked door, I behind that locked door sounds spooky, but that um, spooky song. No. I really like the lyrics and the message of come on out of that shell of yours, you know, share your gifts to the world. Um, I don't like the steel guitar and the pacing. It just makes it sound like a stereotypical country song to me. I would have much preferred George putting his own spin on the genre instead of aping it. Yeah, you know, I never registered this song as country, but I definitely hear what you're talking about. It's always felt more... George to me than country. Um, and I've always thought he's talking to himself in these lyrics, like commenting on how, like what he's doing on this record is him bursting out from the locked door hmm. of the Beatles world. Right. Well, it's, uh, well, you're wrong. <laughs> I know I'm wrong. I, yeah. That's how I, that's how I interpreted. No, the no, I, I'm just kidding. I mean, that's a fine interpretation. And if that makes you enjoy the song, then, you know, that's it's, these songs are for everybody. They're for you and for me. That's uh, right. However, we see fit. Unless you, you know, it's a message. You think it's a message of, hey, what is that? Um, it's not. No, but in fact, it was written, be, you know, to addressing Bob Dylan, like you know, because Dylan was in hiding for a couple of years. Right. The motorcycle accident. After yeah. his motorcycle accident, he hauled up in Woodstock with the band, and for a few years, hung out with his wife Sarah. 
and um, George and Dylan was reticent about going back on tour and recording again. And George is like, "Hey, man, ah, you're good. You're good. Come on, come on, yeah. come on out. Come on, come on, come come on." Robert, question: mm-hmm. Do you know if the George? I'm sorry. If when Bob performed at the Bangladesh concert, was that his first appearance in public for a long time? Well, Bob performed strangely not at Woodstock, but at the Isle Isle of Wight performance. Okay. In '69, um, George gave Dylan a Gibson J200 acoustic guitar shortly before that performance. Um, the recording prominently features pedal steel guitar virtuoso Pete Drake. Hate the Drake. Who had previously <laughs> appeared on Dylan's Nashville Skyline album, Harrison later described Drake's work as the bagpipes of country and western music. And George even said in I Me Mind that this song was a good excuse to do a country tune with pedal steel guitar. <laughs> so there you have it. It was country. Yep. I give it a Josie. Hey man, so I'm still we're still perfect here. I'm giving it a yeah. The roll of the eye there. My goodness. <laughs> yes. Let it down. Um, I like this one. Dynamics are fun. Loud fast chorus after the slow but not plotting verses. Trumpet does a lot of heavy lifting here. Yeah, I'd say the trumpet creates so much of the drama here. But I will say that this has never been exactly my favorite song on this record. After you liked all the first eight. <laughs> yes. I was just it's, like, eh. You, it let you down? <laughs> let me down. I the still Be- like this song. It's just never been my, like. I understand. Know. Yeah. The, the Beatles were offered a song in early 1969 for inclusion of the Let It Be album. George tried to get them to listen to it on the 2nd, the 22nd, the 26th, and the 29th of January. But John and Paul weren't having it. Nope. Uh, No. So following the often fractious sessions for the Beatles' White Album, George and Patty Harrison, formerly Patty Boyd, Mm -hmm. uh, traveled to New York. And shortly after their return, Harrison embarked upon an affair with French model Charlotte Martin, who had recently ended a relationship with Eric Clapton. Oh, my God. Apparently unconcerned <laughs> at the hurt he was causing his wife, not to mention probably Eric Clapton, Harrison allowed Martin to temporarily stay at Kinfunds, the Easter bungalow he shared with Patty. Oh, God. George evidently enjoyed the experience, despite the increasing strain he was putting his marriage under, and was buoyant at the start of the Let It Be sessions. According to Patty, George was fascinated by the guy Krishna, who was always surrounded by young maidens. He came back from India, wanting to be some kind of Krishna figure, a spiritual being with lots of concubines. He actually said so. Ugh. Yeah, so this is an example. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's the 60s and the 70s. Hey. Yeah. yeah. Different time. <laughs> yeah. Um... Let It Down speaks of this interpersonal tension, Harrison's lustful desires for earthly pleasures and his conflicting thoughts of more spiritual matters. That's what I was talking about earlier. Yeah. Yes. Josie Scale, I do like this song, but I'm going to give it a Josie. I feel the same way. It's a Josie for me. Yes, Your Love is much uh, 
more classy talking about an affair. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> At least she was not there. Uh. Yeah, that's messed up. Uh. At least John was like, Cynthia, go on vacation. Go to Greece. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Run of the mill. This is a classic Spectre overproduction, I say. I think I would have preferred hearing George doing this without trumpet and saxophone and the double tracking, because it's personal and I want to hear it raw. Alas, despite the intriguing subject matter, it's uh, run of the mill. Hey, I've heard that before. Uh, I've always enjoyed this song, especially the shifting uh, time signatures throughout. Uh, I see what you mean about the busy production, but for this, it doesn't bother me. Um, but I will say that uh, for you, probably the acoustic demo version, you would love it. It's so good. Well, unfortunately, that's not what they... No, they, that's not uh, what came out. No. This was written shortly after the Let It Be sessions. Um, George Harrison said in I, Me, Mine, he liked the words to Run of the Mill. It was the first song he wrote that looked like a poem on paper. Um... It was when Apple was getting crazy. Ringo wanted it blue. John wanted it white. Paul wanted it green. And I wanted it orange. Paul was falling out with us all and going around Apple offices saying, You're no good. Everybody was just incompetent. The Spanish Inquisition sketch, basically. It was that <laughs> period. The problem of partnerships. Um, the phrase word of the mill doesn't appear anywhere in the lyrics. Ex- George explained he was using the phrase as a synonym for average. This may have been a barred reference to the other former Beatles' views of his songwriting. As juicy as that is, <laughs> I'm going to give it to Jesse. I'm going to give this one a yeah! Huh. Wow. We're disagreeing. <laughs> this is this is unprecedented, folks. This is rarefied air. <laughs> um, this and uh, Revolver slash... Rubber Soul. Yeah, yeah was this 1965, 66? I just wait till we get to another record. That sounds like. I think I've already. Yeah. <laughs> uh, beware of darkness. This isn't a fun one, but it sure is a goodie. George mm-hmm. is singing somewhat about the illusion of materialism, but my takeaway from it is it's about self-perpetuating cycles of unhealthy thoughts that plague some people with depression. The Wire of Sadness, indeed. Uh, I think you're absolutely right there. I mean, the lyrics, like, if I, if I can, if I may read. Uh, Beware of sadness. It can hit you. It can hurt you. Make you sore. And what is more. But that is not what you are here for. Mm. Yeah, man. Uh, I hear you, George. It was written at home in England during a period when George had some of his friends from the Raha Krishna Temple staying there, uh, watch out for Maya. Is the cosmic Maya is the cosmic illusion that which is not. Um, George liked the melody. It's sort of strange. The lyrics are self-explanatory. Well, I guess. Um, George warns about falling swingers, soft shoes, shufflers, weeping atlas cedars. The type, incidentally, beside which the Beatles posed during their final photo session in August 1969. It all comes back to the Beatles. Always. 
um, Weeping Atlas Cedars. That's a tree, I assume. Yeah. Um, it's the, I don't know if you looked at the pictures from the final session, but it's I did. Yeah, it's on the U.S. the U.S. cover for uh, Hey Jude. Hey. Right? Um, no, because. No, this, it's, it was, um, it's, or Get it was, Back. Was, Fuck, what was it? <laughs> Maybe something? Um, no, it was, it was in like August a, 1969, so it couldn't have been Hey Jude. Um, yeah. In any event, I, I, I can picture it in my mind. I, um, yeah. Josie Scale. <laughs> this is a yeah hey, for me. It's, sorry, it, it's a yeah for me as well. No, in the U.S., it was called Hey Jude. Uh, it was a collection of non album singles and B songs. Oh, okay. So okay. it had, uh, it had, uh, can't buy me love. I should know better. Paperback writer. Rain. Lady Madonna. Revolution. Hey Jude. Old Brown Shoe. Hey by George Harrison. Uh, Don't let me down. And Ballad of John and Yoko. But it was mainly a U.S. Uh, you know, U.S. thing. U.S. concern. Came up. It was uh, came up between Abbey Road and Let It Be. Okay. Uh, sounds like an Alan Klein production, if you know what I mean. <laughs> you know, yeah. Apple scruffs. Finally, a song for the so-called Applescrafts. They were alluded to negatively, and she came in through the bathroom window, but George righted that wrong. Of course, it does feature harmonica, so it's not all great. Man, I didn't think I was going to be the harmonica defender today. Me neither. (laughs) After all that with John. Mm -hmm. um, I guess I'll take George's playing over John's most days. Um I think it's a simple but effective love song, uh, but maybe that's just because I'm a big softy. Yeah, you're big softy. Big softy. Mm. Um. So yeah, the Beatles Bible points out the irony that George was probably the one who least enjoyed the trappings of fame, but he was the one who paid tribute to the Beatles' biggest fans. Yeah. Um, the Apple Scrubs were the most loyal ones who kept a vigil outside of their homes, offices, and recording sessions, often knowing the band's whereabouts through a private social network. Um, Bobby Keys, the saxophonist, said there was always a little knot of them. They weren't fashion model types. They were just little girls, just kids. George always took time to have a word with them, and I seem to remember him going out with tea for them sometimes when it was cold. I was impressed with how caring he was about these girls. I've been around a lot of other folks who have quite a different way of dealing with people. Let's put it that way. Hmm. So go for George. I still give this a Josie. And I will disagree. <laughs> give it a, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. The Ballad of Sir Frankie Crisp. Parentheses. Let it roll. Another roll. <laughs> Another rolling. Uh... I like the creepy chanting of the title of the song after two of the choruses over the tinkling piano. Oh. I feel like George should have leaned into that aspect of the song more because otherwise it's a pretty run-of-the-mill hmm. song. It's interesting George talks for a second time about rolling stuff. Gotta say. Puff, puff. Pass, pass. Uh, I think of what he, a lot of what he's trying to do here is more successful in other songs on this album, on this triple album. Uh, I think the slide guitar is great. Uh-huh. But that's kind of all I take from this song. Mostly kind of unmemorable. So it's a yeah. So it's a yeah. Uh, 
Sir Frankie Crisp was the dude who was the original owner of the Friar Park Mansion that George and Patty lived in. Uh, Crisp was an eccentric dude. He was knighted in 1907. Um, Friar Park was part of a 62-acre site, which included caves, grottos, underground boating lake, a 20-foot scale model of the Matterhorn, the interior of the building was decorated according to Sir Frank's taste with various phrases engraved onto stone or wood features around the building and gardens. And if you listen to our holiday special, you know that uh, Georgia used um, one of those um, phrases in Ding Dong Ding Dong. In fact, it was pretty much the whole song he used <laughs> Sir Frank yes. and Crisp's uh, words. Um, George's favorite uh, saying, which was carved into a monument on the grounds, was don't keep off the grass. And George listened to that on the album cover. Uh, Yeah. So, Josie Scale, for serious this time, I say Josie. For serious, I give this a Josie as well. What? Waiting on you all. Did I mention I'm not a religious person? <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be. I don't want to be Ricky Gervais, you know, like beat people. Oh, man. oh boy! Yeah, that's my whole thing. <laughs> Did you know he's an atheist? Um, no, there are some funny lyrics in here, but for the most part, it's it's unfairly, I guess, a paler version of my sweet Lord, What is life? Considering the subject matter, for sure. Uh, I do love the maximalist specterness of the song. Like he's got a very big tent and he's mm. inviting everyone. Um, and I think, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Sorry. Anyway, uh, I think it's a successful song whose production matches uh, the message he's going for. Okay. Um, George said he was cleaning his teeth. I guess that's a British expression for brushing your teeth. Yes. I was cleaning my teeth, and suddenly in my head came this. You don't need a dum da da boom ba 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 You don't need a boom ba da boom All I did was pick up the guitar, find what key it was in, and fill in the missing words. Um, and it's about the repet- It's about Japa Yoga meditation, which is repetition on beads of mantras. In a mantra is mystical energy encased in a sound structure, and each mantra contains within its vibrations a certain power. <clears throat> um, it contains some of Harrison's most playful and deft lyrics, rhyming visas with Jesus, and ending with a verse that EMI found contentious enough to omit from the album's lyric sheet. It goes like this. And while the Pope owns 51% of General Motors, and the stock exchange is the only thing he's qualified to quote us, the Lord is waiting on you all to awaken and see by chanting the names of the Lord and you'll be free. Dun, 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 dun. So Josie. controversial. Jo- yeah. General Motors, no, no free advertising. No. I give this a Josie. Although I, I like give it, it a, but, you know, it's not, yeah. it's not your law. Yeah. It, I'm going to give it a yeah. Yeah? Yeah. <clears throat> okay, the title track, finally. Um, this song gets dangerously close to depressing, but instead it's uplifting if you want it to be. When times are bad, always remember nothing is permanent, which is really hard to do sometimes. 
Yeah. Um, thankfully, the song exists to remind you. There's always something there to remind me. Do, 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 do. I got chills listening to this again. Uh, I choose to see it as an uplifting thesis from George. He'd been through hell and back in this crazy Beatles universe, and that too shall pass. Uh, he made it through the other side and is finally getting th- getting the opportunity to do things his way. It's not always going to be this gray. Um, it was inspired by the Tao Te Ching, a fundamental text in Taoism and other forms of Chinese philosophy and religion. Um, in fact, he probably got it from Timothy Leary's 1966 book, Psychedelic Prayers, after the Tao Te Ching, under the heading, All Things Pass. More plagiarism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. But he wasn't <laughs> sued no. for this one. Harrison taped a solo demo of the song on February 25th, 1969, his 26th birthday. <sighs> during this, I know. During the session, he also taped demos of Old Brown Chew and a little song called Something. Hmm. You can hear all three on Anthology 3. Uh, at the time, Harrison wanted the Beatles to record each of the songs. He got two out of three. Um, he Which tried. He played it on the 2nd, 3rd, 6th, 8th, 28th, and 29th of January during the Get Back Let It Be sessions, and no dice. Nope. On May 14th, 1997, George Harrison and Ravi Shankar filmed an appearance on VH1's George Harrison and Ravi Shankar, Yin and Yang, at the network's New York studios. At the request of presenter John Fugelsang, remember him? Harrison performed an impromptu version of All Things Must Pass, as well as Prabhu Jay, a duet with Shankar from Chance of India. Uh, I worked with John Fugelsang for a couple of years, and of course I asked him about this. And uh, what he said to me was like, he just couldn't believe that he got to be an audience of one <laughs> for George Harrison's final public performance. <laughs> that that, is... That's... Yeah, he's like the like a huge Beatles fan, and like you know, shot in the dark, asking him if he would. There you go. I, I've never seen this. Was it supposed to just be an interview show? Yeah, it was just like a chat show, and then like he he didn't anticipate that he was going to actually play some music, and I don't know if he had brought a guitar and said he wasn't going to, or what the deal was, but like that it wasn't promised that he was going to do anything like that. Mm-hmm. Huh. Josie Scale, I give this a yeah. Give it a yeah as well. I dig love. I um, love dig. <laughs> Let it down was about the push and pull between George's spirituality and his love of the ladies, which is an intriguing subject, but this one, though, is just about carnal pleasure, so it's a throwaway. Not to mention, way too long. <laughs> Thought the jams came later. Why don't we do it in the Esher bungalow? <laughs> yeah, it's an uninspired kind of. The gnomes blues. will be watching us. <laughs> <laughs> Sir Frankie Crisp is watching us. The ghost maybe of that Sir was Frankie one, Crisp. Maybe that was one of the um, one of the the sayings carved into a rock or something. I'm watching you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's an uninspired kind of blues and wordplay song that I've never loved. Like, I'll 
I'll skip it. Classic triple album stuff here, though. Like mm-hmm. they can't all they can't all be winners. So Patty said, uh, "It might have been different yeah. if I had been a stronger, more confident person. I might have guessed that with his infidelity, he was just being a boy and would get over it. That didn't mean he didn't love me, but my ego was too fragile. I couldn't see it as anything other than betrayal. I felt unloved and miserable." Yeah. Fortunately, there's a there's a boy who likes you. Yes. And he's going to write a classic song. Yes. Uh, I Dig Love was never performed live by George or included in a compilation, nor was it mentioned in his autobiography or Genesis Publications' two-volume songs by George Harrison. For good reason. I give this to Josie. Yeah, it's a Josie. Art of Dying. Hidden Gem, IMHO. This one has a killer bass line, and Clapton is wild wowing his axe, and we're talking about rebirth, and rock and roll is alive and well, and full of good karma. Yeah, I mean, it's a real rocker from George, and we're bringing the wah-wah back. Here we go. Wah-wah. The song was believed to have been written as early as the summer of 66. Uh, Art of Dying expressed Harrison's desire at that time to move beyond fame and seek out a greater meaning in life. Um, and, and according to Harrison's original handwritten lyrics, the opening lines were, There'll come a time when all of us must leave here. Then nothing Mr. Epstein can do will keep me here with you. <laughs> in the final version, instead of Brian Epstein, it, it, he was Sister Mary. Possibly a reference to Harrison's Catholic upbringing and McCartney's Mother Mary. Hmm. Hmm. In the liner notes of the 2001 reissue of All Figs Must Pass, Harrison belatedly thanked Phil Collins for his performance on the song. <laughs> uh, Phil was allegedly playing congas on Art of Dying, and although it's taken me 30 years, I would like to thank him for his participation. Better late than ever. Uh, I give this a yeah. Uh, I'm going to give this a Josie. Um, but <laughs> you're, you're you truly shocked. <laughs> but um, do you think Phil Collins' performance is better than him with Led Zeppelin here? What do you think? <laughs> I don't know what to think. Isn't it a pity? Version 2. Isn't it a pity George's version? At least this version clocks it at under five minutes. I give it to Josie. It's the Josie. Hear me, Lord. This is a fitting song to end a non-jam part of the album. There's enough fun guitar chicanery to keep me interested in an otherwise incredibly straightforward gospel tune. Uh, I'm realizing how much I seem to love the bigness of the songs on this record. Like, I like all, almost all of them. Uh, I love the way the song stops for the above and below us line. Mm. And... It leaves me wanting more on the double album it should have been. And then, and then, and then, I got it. But wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. Um, curiously, given its status as the closing song on the main part of All Things Must Pass, Harrison did not mention it in his autobiography and only performed it live on one known occasion. Harrison attempted to interest the Beatles in Hear Me, Lord, during the Get Back, Let It Be sessions. What else is new? On Monday, January 6, 1969, George said, I wrote a gospel song over the weekend, lads. John said, according to St. Who, 
Harrison, according to the Lord, hear me, Lord. He first played the song on an acoustic guitar, then several times on an electric guitar with wah wah pedal. An attempt at putting forward the song All Things Must Pass on the same day was met with similar indifference by the rest of the Beatles. Ah, I like the song, but it's a Josie for me. Uh, I think it's truly, for me, it's like kind of the end of the record for me, and I give it a yeah. So you, you, you do you stop listening after the song? Yes. Okay. So, out of, okay, so the other songs are Out of the Blue. Uh, it's Johnny's Birthday. Yes. Plug Me In. Yes. Uh, I remember Jeep. Jeep is the, the name of one of Eric Clapton's dogs. Yes. Who appeared on the sleeve of the single Layla. And on the 1975 album cover, there's one in every crowd. Uh, Clapton later said he let Jeep and his golden retriever Sunshine crap in the house because we were too stoned to clear it up. Wow. And then, thanks for the pepperoni, the title taken from Religions, Inc., the final track on the 1959 comedy album, The Sick Humor of Lenny Bruce. (laughs) So all these are Josies. Yeah. 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 Um, In his Pop Matters review, John Bergstrom likens All Things Must Pass to the sound of Harrison exhaling, adding he was quite possibly the only Beatle who was completely satisfied with the Beatles being gone. Bergstrom credits the album of heavily influencing bands such as ELO, My Morning Jacket, Fleet Foxes, and Grizzly Bear, as well as helping bring about the dream pop phenomenon. In Harris's view, the widescreen sound used by Harrison and Phil Spector on some of the tracks was a forerunner to recordings by ELO and Oasis. In Heard of 20- them? Mm-hmm. In January 2014, All Things Must Pass was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. Um, Colin Hanks titled his 2015 film All Things Must Pass The Rise and Fall of Tower Records after the album and with the blessing of Harrison's widow Olivia used the title track over the end credits that was a I saw some of it it was pretty yep. good uh, big Tower Records fan growing up I, I did enjoy that movie I was more of a virgin megastore guy say. sure well you lived in New York in New York City New York City I lived in the I lived in the suburbs. We had mm. Tower Records, and then Borders. There was a Virgin Megastore in Union Square. Yeah, uh, I remember it fondly. Yeah. Love Count eighty three. Wow! According to my calculations, um, fifty and I dig love alone. Is that the most? No, it, all you need is love was still more. Yeah, I think that was in the seventies or something. Yeah. Anyway, I dig love. I dig love. Well, I dig George Harrison's "All Things Must Pass." Uh, not as much as some people, but <laughs> this was a fun re-listen. Yeah. Uh, tremendous work by George. Hopefully, he doesn't uh, just rest on his laurels. Oh, I'm sure he won't. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know well, what they say, Roger. Like you have your say? whole life you have your whole life to write your first album. And hmm. boy did he have time because they <laughs> did not want to listen to 
any of these fucking songs. It's like the tough, tough love parents, you know. They're like, see, see, it's because of us, John Apollo. Right. Like we, we made this record as much as you did <laughs> by, being, by being assholes to you. I treat you like a little brother. And you know, it's telling that the only Beatle invited to participate was Ringo. Mr. Star. But you know, Mr. Starr. But he does, and we 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 didn't talk about this in the jam section of. Of it, but uh, it's Johnny's birthday. Is referring to it's a birthday song for John Lennon. Yes, forty nine seconds. But, but over carnival sounds, so he does reference him there, direct like directly in a yeah. kind of a in a lovingly way, and is most you know there. Paul is mentioned, but in in a good kiss off fashion. Yes, yeah. George had his differences with both John and Paul, but more so with with Paul. Yes. Um, I believe John and George didn't speak the last few years of John's life, unfortunately. Um, right. Which upset George when John passed. Um, okay, so up next is, let's see, we we covered uh, John, uh, mm-hmm. Paul, uh, Mysterio, Mysterioso. <laughs> yes. And uh, I guess that leaves uh, Richard Starkey. So. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah. I'm excited about that because uh, I can't say that I have listened to any of these albums. <laughs> okay, well, so we're going to have a sentimental journey. I, I guess so. You know, maybe there'll be some, you know, Bukoops of Blues. Don't come easy, I'll tell you that. The Beatles are a pretty nice band, talk about them day after day. But we also love the outfit a lot So are these songs better than your love? The Beatles are a pretty nice band Someday we'll judge if they're fine, oh yeah Someday we'll judge if they're fine